was going to say that was a much slower countdown. Sorry, I'm used to a minute of bullshit before the actual intro fires off. <laughs> well, with a new host for this episode, we decided we would do it better than the, the previous host does. Straight to business. Uh, we're all about business, efficiency, uh, and getting you the information you need to know. Welcome back to the Hex Drinkers Podcast, episode 28. I am the better looking, really just all around host, Chev. And I'm here with Eric. Hello! And Oakley. Yo. And if Julian agrees, he will say nothing to confirm that all that I've said is true. And so it, we have it. Julian is not joining us today. I believe he is doing something with, air quotes, his real job. But, you know, we're not going to let that stop us. We're here with a new group brew for you guys, with one of the Modern Horizons 2 legends that we're all excited for. But first, the news. Eric, what do you have for us? Ah, you may have noticed my conspicuous absence from the last podcast. The lack of one of your favorite co-hosts. There was a lack of green-white, I believe. That's why we had to make up for it this week. I have returned with tales to regale you of uh, a trip to Florida where I played a lot of Magic. It was the first time playing Paper Magic again. Got to play with my college playgroup, which was super fun. Got back to playing a a healthy amount of CEDH, which was a stark transition. But there, (laughs) there were some really fast, really fun games, and there were some... Really slow games where everyone was feeling pretty dry at the end. Uh, but overall, we also got to do another draft of Strixhaven, both sealed and draft. Nice. Because uh, we bought a box that's nine packs a person. So we did six pack sealed, three pack draft. It was a great time. I only played one draft, one game of my draft deck, and I won, or I played one match of my Perfect draft Perfect record. Deck. Yeah. Yeah, right. One and oh, baby. Retiring on top. And then in sealed, I went. Two and one, which was good. It was it was a great time. What did you? Uh, what archetype did you end up building in sealed? Uh, sealed, I went with Golgari, which is Witherbloom, uh, in here, and then in draft, I went with the Orzov archetype of Silverquill. Silverquill, yes. Uh, both of those <laughs> were super fun. Uh, the Silverquill deck was actually really cool and had some some very powerful scaling pieces with a lot of their like self-targeted creature buffs and the the golem that lets you copy spells if you target your own creature. Love that guy. Nice. So yes, that's why Eric decided to abandon us last week and miss out on his role on the podcast because he had other things to do like paper magic and other friends. And vacation. Foreign (laughs) concepts to me. And and vacation. (laughs) We've all needed one. All right. Less less news. It sounds more like personal bragging if you ask me, but you know. Um, news to me. Oakley, do you have something do you have something a little more substantial for us? Well yeah, I got some bragging. You know, I did some drafts myself, you know, on MTGA. I'm really trying to put this deck together. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh yes, I do have some real news. Uh so we just recently have gotten two brand new spoilers from the uh new Forgotten Realm set, which I believe is gonna be the next standard legal set releasing. Yep. Correct me if I'm wrong. It comes out in like a month, so we've got about a week before previews start. Enjoy your enjoy your two weeks of peace for Modern Horizon. <laughs> oh my god, it's so fast. We're always in spoiler season here. So, for our two lovely spoilers here, well, one of them I think is not so lovely, and I'm going to talk about that first, and that's Flump, which is just a really funny looking card. It, it, Eric, is Flump a D&D creature? Yes, it is a D&D creature. Uh, it has one notable attribute, which is if you ever were to flip a flump upside down, it immediately dies. Bummer. That, that uh, sucks. Which is why I wish this card had the text, should this card ever be flipped over, sacrifice the flump. Right. Instead, this card has the text, Defender Flying. Whenever Flump has dealt damage, you and target opponent each draw a card. Why? It's just a worse wall of omens. It's so bad. <laughs> 
It seems like it could have been something cool if the effect was, you know, the target source, mm -hmm. like, draws a card as opposed to an opponent. That way you could kind of, like, self-ping it and hopefully get two cards out of it. But it does make it, like, a, a group huggy sort of piece. I don't know how much self-ping white has, though. You need something else for sure. Like, it wouldn't be white on white. But even then, it's, like, self-ping, your opponent draws a card. Sweet. <laughs> like, <laughs> what amazing. A little great card. I, I really hope this doesn't become a theme of white. Like, what was the card? Like, Secret Rendezvous or something we saw in Strixhaven? Yeah. That was you and target opponent each draw three cards? That sucks. <laughs> give White some give White some good stuff. We saw some great white card advantage in On Horizons 2 with Surge Supremacist and Esper Sentinel, and White just deserves more cards of this caliber, uh, not Flump. Mm. The other card <laughs> we got here is Tasha's Hideous Laughter, uh, which is a D&D spell that I know of. It is a sorcery for three mana, two blue, and one generic. Uh, each opponent exiles cards from the top of their library until that player has exiled cards with total mana value 20 or more. Interesting. So, right off the bat, this card is not going to be very good in standard. <laughs> uh, that's almost for sure, because there's so many decks out there that are... like, Well, like, if you're trying to play Mill, there's just so much better options, really. But in Modern, where Mill is, like, tier 2, 3 deck? It's not bad, but it's not good. And I think no one just likes playing Mill, really, at all. <laughs> uh, but the, the point is, in, in Modern, a lot of your high-tier decks run very small mana cost and efficient creatures, like Tarmogoyf, like Fatal Push, like Snapcaster Mage. And so this card, for 3 mana, could easily be like, an Archive Trap, uh, which would be, like, you know, 13, 10-ish cards. Uh, the tricky part is that there are just a few select decks in Modern that really don't run very a lot of very small things. Uh, namely, the, the ones I can think of are Tron and, like, Amulet Titan, which are just like, alright, you play this against Tron and it's like, you hit, like, two Karns. And Reality I Smasher. Mean, but if, you hit, if you hit two Karns, you've, you've gotten rid of two of their Karns. That's true. That's true. Yeah, there is the benefit of getting rid of those bigger threats. That's one of the things I like about this card, is if you feel like you brick, it's probably because you didn't brick and you just exiled two powerful cards before they ever even reached your opponent's hand. So, I mean, there's that, but decks like these that I mentioned uh, do run some smaller things. Like, Tron t runs, like you know, expedition map, and a ton of, like, small little artifact cantrips, so it might still be useful. Who knows? We'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Maybe this will push Mill up a notch. One thing that I actually ended up talking with my college friends a lot about was, is that viable in CEDH? There's a lot of decks that run black that also run Adnaws, and their goal is to draw as many cards while losing as little life as possible with Adnaws, so their curves stay super low to the ground. Even if you're not a farm deck, your curve usually stays super low, so you could really move through a lot of someone's deck with it. I, th I think the conclusion we came to was, unfortunately, it's probably not viable because at the super top level, it's a three mana sorcery that doesn't advance anyone your game plan at all and only hits one opponent. And no, it, it hits each opponent. Oh, it does he hit each opponent? Yeah. No, I, okay. I still don't think that probably puts it over the top. But The biggest problem we came up with was it feels like a fringe card, but the more fringe CDH you go... The higher people's average mana cost goes, the less you're hitting with each spell. Yeah, makes sense. Kind of jumping off of uh, what Eric spent his last week doing, Modern Horizons 2, unlike a lot of premium sets before it, had a pre-release, which is cool. But it's, it's cooler because this is probably one of the first events that a lot of people have been able to go back to their local game stores now, at least here in the U.S. So I know personally my, my local game store, they put out the notice that they're going to have 
in-person events and they all filled up within hours and they had to run a bunch like yesterday night as well to keep up with demand so it seems like something that everyone's excited to do uh, we're getting back into magic the way it was meant to be played of course that means we're gonna have a lot of people that are doing weird stuff because it is magic there was a bit of drama in the magic twitterverse yesterday mostly about a altercation between two individuals we won't go too much into it about the practice of splitting if you have a perfect record of your pre-release and you go into the final round, a lot of the times what you'll see is the two people will choose to split the winning packs because then you get slightly more packs if, than you would have if you lost, but of course slightly less than if you would have won. So it's kind of the, you know, hedge your bets option. Uh, what happened was one particular person asked the other to split. Uh, they said no, and then both sides kind of had their own opinion on the thing. And so we're just here to say, you know, Splitting is still a choice. While, while it is something that a lot of the times people will do, that doesn't mean you are required to do it. If you are really confident and you feel like your deck is a winner, there's no reason to split if you think you could win. And if you ask to split and they say no, just use it as an opportunity to beat their ass. Like, this shouldn't be something that you feel overly upset about, but you shouldn't guilt them afterward for deciding not to split. You know, while we're all getting back there, uh, let's make sure we have our respect <laughs> going on and we're not doing weird stuff. Spirit of the game. Just just be nice to each other. Especially like Yeah. There's a lot of be times excellent to each other. Be excellent to each other, honestly. If you go to like a midnight pre release, game four is probably occurring three, four in the morning. It like even if you're dead and your opponent refuses to split, just like do your best with whatever they're willing to give you. Yeah, moral is, you know, choices are gonna be made, but don't be an asshole. The the number one rule of any game. The end. And that's the news. Moving on to our, our feature entertainment. Like I mentioned, we did a group brew around Scythus Harvest's hand. Uh, Scythus? Probably Scythus, because, you know, scythes, harvest, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, but it's Greek. Scythus. Would, would, Greek would be more Sith, right? I think it'd be Scythus. Scythus. All right. Which is neither Scythus. Well, Scythus. we're going to say Scythus. All right. Tell us if we're wrong. One green, one white for a 1-2 legendary enchantment creature, Nymph. Whenever you cast an enchantment spell, you gain one life and draw a card. Those of you who are familiar with Tatiova might recognize this templating. We thought this would be a very interesting commander to do here because we all could go in very different directions. And we did. <laughs> Having a value engine in the command zone kind of opens up a lot of options due to their sort of vagueness in how you should go about doing things. So I think we've got a lot in store for any kind of brewer who wants to start us off. I'll go. So, Chev, value engine in the command zone, right? Turns out... There's actually just a lot of value engines in it. I almost said in enchantments, like that's like a color or something. In it's an archetype. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. Um, and you know, there are a ton of cards I found in making this deck that draw you a card when you play an enchantment. Yeah. Also, if you play a specific kind of enchantment, namely auras, you'll be drawing even more cards off of these creatures. Maybe you got yourself a core spirit dancer. Speaking of which... My deck, I made aura-themed. Auras are just a really cool kind of enchantment. They kind of, I think, fly under the radar a lot because they're a very high-risk, high-reward card. Mm -hmm. Especially in EDH. In EDH especially, where there's a ton of, like, board wipes, auras are just cards that they can either give you a ton of value if, if you, your creature sticks around, or... They can give you none at all. It can be a two for one, you know, if, if someone plays a removal spell. Right. It kind of is like the all eggs in one basket approach, yes. which you see with some Voltron builds and stuff. 
Because, like, if the creature gets removed, all the enchantments are going to get removed with it. Yes. And it's not like an equipment where you can just... It just falls off. Re-equip it. Exactly, yeah. 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 Anyways, so I wanted to make an Auras deck. And what better creatures to put Auras on than creatures that draw you cards when you play Auras? So we got a ton of those. I mean, there's the commander herself, first of all, Sithis. Which is probably, you know, a prime example of this. But there's also Eidolon of Blossoms, Seder Enchanter, Core Spirit Dancer. Core Spirit Dancer being Auras only. Uh, Mesa Enchantress, Satessin Champion, Sram. Senior Edificer, remember him? He does auras too, not just equipment, which is crazy. I never <laughs> knew that. Verdurin Enchantress, and, you know, there's even more than that. We got some non-creature spells that draw you cards when you play enchantments. Enchantress Present, Season of Growth, if you if you play an aura on a creature you control, that's a spell that's targeting a creature you control. Now, of course, w- w- one thing to keep in mind with all this Oakley, and I hope I uh, there's a Reliquary Tower in your land base, because I don't think any of these are May Triggers. I know when I was doing some testing with a few of these that, like, there'd be turns where I draw four cards and then I just have a hand that's way too large. <laughs> that's a good point. Too much value. That is a good point, Chev. I did not include a Reliquary Tower in this. Maybe it should go in here. Reliquary, Thought Vessel. Go go with the classic ones, I think, because these cards do draw a lot of cards. Yeah, for sure. And you can definitely afford to play these, like, lands or mana rocks that create generic mana because you're only two colors which, which is you know great obviously but i didn't want to include any cards that were really over like the 10 ish dollars range so i left out uh argothian enchantress because that is the cash right there also no Acado- <laughs> academy rector because that's like that's more <laughs> cash yeah <laughs> right we, we, we want to show you decks that are attainable we're not we're not trying out here to uh just bling in your face well some of us i are. don't i don't know that that's <laughs> A message that we can say for the whole pod. I don't know that you can just say that for us. <laughs> so, anyways, besides these creatures that draw a card whenever you play enchantments, there are other creatures that just draw a card when they enter the battlefield, per se, but only that card must be an enchantment. That didn't come out so well. But, basically, if you're playing Monk Idealist and Oromancer, whenever those guys come into play, you just get to return an enchantment from your graveyard to your hand, which is awesome. If you're playing Heliod's Pilgrim, forget the graveyard. You get to go through your deck and find an aura uh, and put that into your hand. And if you're playing Siona, Captain of the Pileas, you get to look through the top, like... Seven. Yeah, reveal an aura from among them and put it into your hand. Awesome. Finally, while we're playing all these enchantments, uh, we, we don't always want to just draw cards. We got a card which I'm sure is going to appear in the other guys' decks. I haven't even looked that deep into it yet, but um, Sigil of the Empty Throne. Wherever you play an enchantment... Well, it's an enchantment itself, but whenever you play another enchantment, uh, you get to make a 4-4 angel with flying. Awesome. A Johnny's Chosen, you get to make a 2-2 cat. Archon of Sun's Grace, you get to make a 2-2 Pegasus with flying. Nice. So would you say that's kind of like the goal of this deck, outside of the auras, is to kind of overwhelm with tokens? I wouldn't say that's the primary strategy. Uh, You could definitely go with that with Sigil of the Empty Throne. Mm -hmm. But I think, and I'll get into this later, uh, you're mostly going to want to be stacking up auras on the creature's... Uh, you control that draw you cards. Uh, and some of the orders give them, like, protection and whatnot. And some of them just make them huge. Actually, I'll, j- I'll just talk about those right now, actually. Because <laughs> uh, that, that was sort of intended to be the primary. Yeah, give us the cards. Yeah. Show us... Tell the good people what they want to know. There's so many awesome enchantments that synergize with other enchantments. Uh, and auras are no exception to that. So... If you were playing Eldraine recently, and, uh, you know, Eldra- Throne of Eldraine Standard, and you uh, happen to come across, like, a, a you know, a Luris enchantment deck, you might have come across this card, uh, All That Glitters. Two For two mana, enchant a creature, 
And that enchanted creature gets plus one, plus one for each artifact and or enchantment you control, which you should probably have a lot of at this point. Along similar lines, and this card gives me Vietnam flashbacks for when me and Chev played Pauper on MTGO, because Chev played Aura Hexproof <laughs> in Pauper, and he played this card called Ancestral Mask, which is a three-mana uh, enchantment aura. Enchanted creature gets plus two, plus two for each other enchantment in play, and that includes your opponent's enchantments. Uh, yeah, or if we're all trying to play these decks against each other to see the one true Sithis build, Ancestral Mask is going to get out of hand very exactly, fast. Exactly. I think there's a lot that's going to get out of hand very fast if we all play these decks in <laughs> one pod. Speaking of, we should just do that in our next VEDH game and not tell Julie we just all chew up the same deck. <laughs> perfect, perfect. I think there might be some power disparity, but we'll, we'll get over that. We'll just team up on him. Get him out of there first, and then it's only uh, Sithis, Sithis decks. So, we gotta have some powerful cards in here, right? Um, and another card that gives me, you know, bad flashbacks for a different reason is Bear Umbra. They got the Totem Armor, which is if Enchanted Creature would be destroyed, instead remove all damage from it and destroy this aura. So it's basically just like an extra life for your creature. And then this particular totem armor happens to have, uh, whenever this creature attacks, untap all lands you control. That's a lot of mana. One more I want to highlight, uh, Shield of the Oversoul, which is, just seems like, I don't know how they made such a perfect card for this archetype, but it's in 3-mana enchant creature. As long as enchanted creature is green, it gets plus 1, plus 1, and has indestructible. And if it's white, it gets plus 1, plus 1, and has flying. This sounds like a great thing to put on Sithis herself. Yo, that's from Lorwyn. So, for anyone who's looking at this deck, you know I really went overboard with, like, the enchantment theme, because I want to be drawing those cards. All of our ramp is either enchantments, or creatures that make enchantments cost less to play, because you have so many of them. Some of your creatures are enchantments, too, which is insane. I would say enchantment lands. Not that their cost would be reduced. Well, they have one, and it's causing problems. Ah, so uh, right. We'll see if they make another right. one. Right, 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 right. <laughs> How could I forget um, oh man, I should have put that in here. Oh well. <laughs> but yeah, we got, so, for ramp enchantments, uh, we got Overgrowth, Sheltered Airy, Gift of Paradise, uh, you might notice in that short little list there, there's a couple common names missing, like Utopia Sprawl, and that's really just because we really want to hit that three mana, um, you know, curve right after we play Sithis, play one of these enchantments, and then boom, just draw a card, you've already gotten your value out of Sithis, you don't, you don't even need her anymore, get, get her out of here. Then oh. for creatures, we have that uh, reduce the cost of our enchantment spells. We've got Transcendent Envoy, uh, Starnheim Courser, Starfield Mystic, Hero of Iroas, and Herald of the Pantheon. Uh, there's a mix of just reducing the cost of auras, and there's like some auras and artifacts, and just some straight up enchantments in there. But you know, it, it gets the job done. It's it, they're cost reducers. Honestly, I think between some of these decks, there's so many cost reducers for enchantments. You should probably just keep dice by the side of like for how much for auras how much for enchantments um because it seems like more than any other type of card you'll get these one-off creatures that are oh yeah enchantments cost one less because what's the worst that could happen yeah that's a great idea because i feel like especially me i tend to forget when i have cost reducers out and i always forget to like factor those in when i'm thinking like how what kind of spells i'm going to play in a turn also when you know Julian plays, I feel like, a lot of those kinds of spells, you know, cost producers, and it's just like, you know, you'll, like, play a spell, and, like, we'll think he, like, forgot to tap a mana or something, <laughs> and it'll just be like, oh, no, I got the reducer on mana, it's like, oh, yeah, you're right, you're right. So, we covered ramp, card draw, creatures, other auras, how about removal? We got some aura removal, too. 
one of my favorite, actually, removal spells in EDH for very malicious reasons, uh, Song of the Dryads. It is a three-mana aura enchantment that turns one of your... Well, probably one of your opponents, uh, but turns a creature into a colorless forest land. It's permanent. It doesn't have to be creature. Thank you. Yes, it hits artifacts, planeswalkers. Literally anything that stays on the board. Hit that planeswalker, hit that problematic land. This and cards like Imprisoned in the Moon, I think are especially dirty in EDH because you can hit an opponent's commander <laughs> and they can't like choose to send it to another zone because it's still on the battlefield. But then they also, like, if you want to attack them, they can't block with it because it's a forest. Besides that, we got a card I mentioned in a recent podcast, uh, Lignify, which turns a creature into a uh, 0-4 tree folk with no abilities. Darksteel Mutation, which is kind of similar, uh, turns them into a 0-1 insect with indestructible and no abilities. And Kenrith's Transformation, which I should just take out of this deck because it reminds me of Oko, and I hate that, <laughs> turns a creature into a 3-3 Elk with no abilities. The last couple cards I want to mention are some that I just kind of thought of or came across as I was looking into making this deck. Uh, and these are my spicy picks. So the first one we got is Spawning Grounds, which is from one of the recent uh, Commander sets. It is a 8-mana... Enchant a land, and the land has tapped to create a 5-5 green beast creature token with Trample. Also got Overwhelming Splendor, which is a curse, but still technically an aura, so... Tune that up with Heliod's Pilgrim. Yep, yep. Creatures enchanted player controls lose all abilities and have base power and toughness 1-1, and that player can't activate abilities that aren't mana or loyalty abilities. One more I want to mention is going to be Curse of Bounty. This one I like a lot because I played with Curse of Opulence a lot, and I find that putting it on opponents doesn't do what you want it to do. It makes people actually attack them less because uh, they don't want to give you a they treasure. Don't want to give you that benefit. Yep. But with this one, this one is whenever enchanted player is attacked, untap all non-land permanents you control, and each opponent attacking that player untaps all non-land permanents they control. So I would say put this on yourself and then your creatures have pseudo-vigilance in case anyone tries to attack you. I mean, they untap all their stuff, too, but who cares? Your, your stuff's going to be huge, because you're running all these uh, crazy, crazy auras. That's actually a super funny idea. I just love little interactions like that. They're so much fun. So, yeah, I mean, that pretty much covers it for mine. You know, I, I went, like, a sort of a budget route for this, but, Chev, I know you went... Real big into the budget zone. How about you tell us about yours? Oh, you guys are just screwing me. Now I'm going to look like a gigantic piece of shit. <laughs> yep. <laughs> right, so um, Oakley and I, we care about our wallets and, you know, the, the total cost that these things are clocking in at. I struggle a lot with value engines in the command zone. I find them a little bit nebulous in, in how I want to build them because I feel like I want a deck with more restrictions. So I thought the number one way to kind of counteract this is to go in and make my own restrictions. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to take this deck or, or Sithis, and I'm going to make a $50 version. And it's going to be, you know, super hard, and I'm going to find all these cool budget cards in the process, and it's going to be great. So I, I kind of dipped in, and I started building this thing that would be probably like 10% of the cost of most of my other, you know, classic decks like Apatra or Kozilek or those. And I built it, and then I, I was kind of excited and looked, but $50 for an enchantment deck right now is too good in terms of finding that hidden tech. Because of reprints we've seen from Modern Horizons 2, because of the Bant enchantment deck that got printed a couple of years back, even a couple of the commander decks from Call Time, a lot of these staples that Oakley mentioned, and I'll go into a little bit more, are incredibly cheap. Sterling Grove, which gives all of your enchantment shroud, tap one, sack it, search for an enchantment, put it on top of your library, is $3. 
ghostly prison is a dollar 65 for its most recent printing i remember like saving up or th- debating whether or not a ten dollar ghostly prison is worth it and then mesa enchantress enchantress's presence and eidolon of blossoms all cards that oakley mentioned that draw you a card uh, when you play an enchantment are all no more than a couple bucks so for fifty dollars you can really build a very strong enchantment deck around sith is just from these classic effects that have been reprinted recently and are, are going to make something awesome the problem was that's not really what i was trying to do so cut my budget in half and now i have a sithis build for 25 ish dollars i say 25 ish because a couple cards fluctuated a little bit since i built the thing and now we're at 26 and i want to be honest with you people once you get to the kind of like 25 dollar range it almost feels like pauper edh or like the ocean floor where there's a lot of undiscovered stuff and nothing really makes sense so i'm going to kind of dive into a couple of the cards that i really included because working on a budget you're going to swap out your arcane signets and your felwar stones for the three mana budget replacements but we're not really talking about that so i want to talk about these things that kind of work at the 25 dollars level and hopefully will kind of keep the deck competitive up to a, a certain extent the first category of cards is draw replacers so sithis allows you to whenever you play an enchantment you know draw a card and gain a life So something that you could consider is these older cards that replace your draw step or kind of do an effect instead of your draw step could be somewhat useful here. Since you'll still, with Sithis on the battlefield, get a draw for that turn, you can add the benefit of these other things. The two cards I found were Elfham Sanctuary. It's a two-mana green enchantment. Instead of drawing, you can choose to search your library for a basic land and put it into your hand and shuffle. So this is an effect that's great if you're getting mana screwed. It costs two mana, and so with Sithis out, you're you're basically playing a cantrip at that point, and it's just a useful effect to have on hand. Pursuit of Knowledge, though, is one of my favorite cards I found for this deck, and it's a four mana enchantment, and it allows you to skip a draw and put a counter on it. When it has uh, three counters on it, sacrifice it and draw seven cards. So because of the way this is worded, it doesn't have to be your draw step. You could probably do this in a single turn with Sithis, if you played a couple enchantments, then we're able to sack it and draw seven more cards. Of course, if you're doing that, you probably want a Reliquary Tower or something else. But it's a super interesting effect that you don't often see, especially in white. Chev, I think uh, a really good card that you could have considered a recently reprinted card from Modern Horizons 2, uh, Solitary Confinement. At the beginning of your upkeep, you sacrifice it unless you discard a card and you skip your draw step. But you have Shroud mm-hmm. and you prevent all damage that would be dealt to you. So if you're drawing all these cards... And you just don't want to take any damage. <laughs> I mean, the... Oh, it's a great effect. The The issue is it costs $3.60. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so for $25, it would be a great improvement to the budget deck. But yeah, so so that's again, you know, an effect that you don't normally consider. But with such a powerful draw engine from so early in the game, you'll most likely have Sithis out turn two every time. It's a great opportunity to use this trigger that you don't normally do. The next kind of category are these sort of enchantments that bounce themselves. And there's a couple of them. Um, There's a cycle. Unfortunately, the white one is too good for a budget build. It's about $5. Uh, But the green one, Whip Silk, costs one green mana to play. Enchanted creature can block like it has flying. What a wild effect. But you can also pay a green to bounce it back to your hand. So now, with Sithis out, you're just, for two green mana, drawing a card, gaining a life. And you can do that as many times as you want. And, of course, this triggers any other Constellation effect, like the Archon of Sun's Grace that Oakley mentioned, or Johnny's Chosen, or Sigil of the Empty Throne. Just pound out those tokens with a, a bounce spell. The white one, in case you're curious, you play it and it gives your creature protection from a, a certain color. 
So it's kind of awesome, um, especially for that kind of bounce and you can choose a different color and all those sort of effects. Another one is Molting Skin. Three mana, green enchantment, bounce it to your hand, regenerate target creature. It's not an aura, it just sits there and it can target the creature that is going to regenerate. So you play it, you get your card, and you can bounce that and play it again and kind of do this loop. Because that's another way to really generate obscene amounts of value at this really low level. Third type of card, some of you might be familiar with these. They're a little bit, well, they're, they're very strange. There are a bunch of cards that are hidden X. And so you have hidden gorillas, hidden herd, hidden all these other things. And basically it's these really cheap, mostly green enchantments that when your opponent does a certain effect, they become creatures of certain characteristics, mostly around 4-4, four, 5-3, four, that sort of thing. Um, occasionally the hidden creature uh, costs a little bit more if they have another effect, but we're not really interested in that. For for this deck, I picked Hidden Gorillas and Hidden Herd. One becomes a 4-4 four, four vanilla when your opponent plays a non-basic land, which, you know, this is EDH, so of course it's going to happen. Uh, it's a 3-3. Three, three. Oh, it's a 3-3. Three, three. Well, yeah, it's, it's still going to happen. The other one's a 5-3, and that's when someone plays an artifact spell. Both are very classic effects that are going to occur. And for one green mana, you're playing this, you're drawing another card, gaining a life, and you get a chump blocker or a sacrifice target or really anything else. They're, they're cantrips that kind of provide extra value. For those searching Hidden Gorillas, it is sadly not Hidden Gorillas as in the monkeys. It is Hidden Gorillas as in the, the fighters. Uh, it makes a soldier token. If you are going to look these up, because I think you could include the whole swath in your deck for kind of fun minigame shenanigans, I would say search the word hidden, type enchantment and scryfall and that's probably going to get you the the best way to look up all these because there's there's a ton there's one for basically every type of spell your opponent could cast but you might be wondering at this level okay so we have all these weird cards how do you actually plan to close out the game because you have like enough money for a pizza and some beer and so that's generally not where you want to be if if you're trying to win a game of edh but because of how cheap a lot of these cards are in this deck, we can also include the Archon of Sun's Grace, the Ajani's Chosen, the Sigil of the Empty Throne, and more recently, Nykthos Paragon from Modern Horizons 2, which is whenever you gain life, uh, put a 1-1 counter equal to the amount of life gained, each creature you control. Super solid effect, help you boost your board. Don't forget that Sithis allows you to gain that life, which is also really good if you're peeking at the Witherbloom Commander deck from this year. Uh, there's a card enchantment in there. Whenever you gain life, pay 2 mana, make a 4-4 four, four. Beast again fits in this deck as well so you have all of these awesome cards still fit into the 25 dollar mark because none of them are over like a dollar fifty what is the so you're able to have these how would a witherbloom card fit in here isn't witherbloom black green it's from the witherbroom precon but it's just mono green oh oh yeah it's uh trudge garden one green and two whenever you gain life you may pay two generic if you do Create a 4-4 green fungus beast creature token with trample. Oh, didn't you put Trudge Garden in something? Oh, you put it in your Gyome build. Right, for, because the, the food's gaining the yep. life and all that stuff. So I did a bit of playtesting. Obviously, it doesn't have the same amount of kick as something that isn't as restricted, but it has a ton of kick for that value level. Enchantments are super good to be super cheap with. Just to kind of close this out, I have a couple more cards I want to mention here. Uh, we can still include Ethereal Armor, Destiny Spinner, Seder Enchanter and Darksteel Mutation also at this budget. For your protection and your recursion, you probably are dealing with a different sort of uh, suite of tools than you might if you had access to other things. For protection, there's the classic from one of the recent Ravnica sets, Unbreakable Formation. Give all of your creatures indestructible, do it on your turn, they get Vigilance as well. Solid three mana, go. Chomano's Blessing, two mana aura, give a creature protection from any color. And Autumn's Veil. 
you might be thinking of Summersvale. This is kind of like the old cousin, but it costs 70 cents. So we are here for protecting them. Then for the recursion aspect is Creeping Renaissance. It's a five mana flashback for seven. Choose a permanent type. Return all cards of the chosen type from your graveyard to your hand. Get back all your enchantments. Get them all back again. Obviously, you can choose creatures or something else, but it's a super good recursion effect kind of on this mass level. Road of Return is a card that kind of snuck under the radar with a one of these commander decks. Two green, return target creature from the graveyard to your hand, or put your commander from the command zone into your hand and entwine for two. So this is great once you've played Sithis probably like six times. People are getting tired of the amount of cards you're drawing. Now you don't have to pay a bajillion mana to cast your commander again. Oromancer, of course, but I want to introduce you to Oromancer's kind of cooler younger brother, and that is Restoration Specialist. It's a two mana, two one, and for one white, Sacrifice Restoration Specialist, return up to one target artifact card and up to one target enchantment card from your graveyard to your hand. So for the same value of the Oromancer, which is an ETB trigger, to be fair, you're paying three mana and you can get back an artifact and an enchantment as opposed to just one or the other. So obviously I'm going to have the Oromancer in here as well, or a Monk Specialist, but Restoration Specialist is hands down a great pick to include as well. I think that's most of the, the cards I have for that sort of budget level. Um, the, the themes of the deck are going to be very similar here. We're playing a bunch of enchantments. This time though, the deck is more focused around winning with those tokens because we don't have access to those higher level creatures or more powerful spells. So honestly, like looking at it, it's a pretty impressive build for $25. I play this. It's crazy like what recent reprints have done to the vast majority of cards. Like we focus on the the big beacons of the Praetors or Rise of the Dark Realms or all these ones that are always going to be $30. But a lot of the support pieces for classic EDH decks are just getting destroyed in value. And that is one of my favorite things in the world. We love to see all right, Eric, so uh, since I did 25 you probably did like a $15 build, right? Yeah, yeah, so you've seen prices go down from like, if you own a collection, this is going to be a budget build, to uh, if you found some spare change in your pockets when you were doing laundry, this is going to be a budget build. And Chev has set the bar so low that instead of limboing under it, I'm just going to I'm just gonna pole vault over it. it. It feels unnecessary to go this high, but I just got back from playing a week of CDH, so I do what I want. <laughs> I built Sithis Harvest's Hand as a Stax Enchantress deck. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, oh, yes. Uh, so I obviously have a lot of the same things that these other guys had in there in terms of enchantment ramp, enchantment creatures that help you draw cards. So everything that Oak had, plus the Argothian Enchantress. But I, I, there's some other things in there that are going to make people a little less happy. In terms of hate bears, I get to run my my sweet, beautiful, elemental boar boy, Yasharn, Implacable Earth. This card absolutely shreds in competitive EDH. Players can't pay life or sacrifice non-land permanence to cast spells or activate abilities is insane. That just shuts down so much of the unfair stuff that colors like black uh a lot of the artifact strategies are going to be doing just stop working cdh is definitely what i had in mind too because i included yashard in my deck as well hey mostly because i thought it'd be cool to tutor up some cards but i think that that gives some credence to the 25 dollars <laughs> four mana go get two lands great four mana go get two lands your opponent can't activate any of their 60 dollar fetch lands even <laughs> Ooh. 
That's a good one. For 30 cents, you make someone very yeah. upset. I, I, like I, I love Yasharn in this deck. Other good hate bears that were running, Manglehorn, perhaps the greatest card that I have ever... I did not discover it. Someone on the CDH sub was like, hey, it sounds like you're playing in a pod with like a ton of artifact decks. You should run this card. It is nuts. A lot of cards that are great at CDH are great at every level. So Manglehorn is another 30 cent card that is crazy strong at the top level of play because it shuts off fast mana. It destroys an artifact when it enters. It just, it does good things. Speaking of shuts off fast mana, Collector Oof. Now we're getting out of 30 cents, but this card is still just wild. And uh, perhaps the worst card that Wizards of the Coast has ever printed for Commander, Dranith Magistrate. <laughs> Stop it. Uh. Get some help. Get some help. <laughs> Dranith Magistrate, two mana. Uh, if you haven't heard of this card, please just shut off the podcast now or mute me for the next 20 seconds. Uh, one and a white. Uh, your opponent can't cast spells from anywhere other than their hands. One, three. Namely, that includes commanders. Cannot be cast from the command zone because Wizards, it's filled with cruel people. It's banned in Brawl for just that reason. Yep, you gotta play that road to return. Get that guy in your hand. I, I guess I gotta. <laughs> Jeff's got the tech against Eric's deck. I'm telling you, like, my, my deck has all the hidden tech here. There it is. We're running a couple of mana dorks, but mostly some of the mana ramp that Oak talked about in terms of land enchantments, so I'm not going to go over that again. But there are a couple interesting cards here that sort of fall into the same niche in terms of hate bears. So Ashes of the Abhorrent, players can't cast spells from graveyards or activate abilities of cards in graveyard. That means your opponents can't like dread return a combo piece and then sack three things to dread return again immediately. It's it's a pretty potent thing. Also, whenever a creature dies, you gain one life, which shuts off some of the ping loops that people run in their deck where. Uh, they'll sack a creature, ping you, reanimate the thing for free, sack a creature, ping you. Gets you general immunity to that as well. Uh, Authority of the Consoles does the same thing. I can't help but notice that uh, one of my favorite enchantments for one mana is not in here. Carpet of Flowers. What's up with that? <laughs> That's big I've mana. been burned one too big many mana. times by playing Carpet of Flowers in a pod with no blue. So instead, <laughs> I decided to double down, and if I'm in a pod with blue, instead of getting more mana because they have mana... They just don't get any. <laughs> I'm running choke. My man. Uh, which is, islands don't untap during their controller's untap step, for those who aren't aware, which is just hilarious. Beautiful. If you have free counter spells, use them. Get wrecked, idiot. We're running concordant crossroads, but that's for combos, uh, which I'll get to in a little bit. Privileged position is another great one. Essentially gives everything and yourself hexproof, other than itself, but with Sterling Grove, no one can target anything that you own, essentially. Just, you are a mystery to the world. Uh, there's one more that I wanted to go... Oh, Stony Silence. Activated abilities of artifacts can't be activated. If you haven't noticed, I hate artifacts. Uh, they're <laughs> stupid and dumb. We are running only one, and so now it's time for the combo portion of this podcast, which is Helm of Obedience and Rest in Peace. Helm Rip is a classic combo that is unbelievably dumb. Helm has some pretty archaic text, but essentially it is your opponent... Flips cards into their graveyard until X creatures have been put in there. It has an activated cost of X and tap. With rest in peace, oh. nothing can ever get in there. Oh. So, oh, they never meet man. the quota. So they lose. <laughs> you exile their entire library for one mana. Well, it's four to play Helm and one to activate. Tasha's evil laughter uh, doesn't stand a chance. Yeah, yeah. Helm <laughs> Rip is, is some pretty nasty stuff. But we're running some cool stuff that is more specific to this deck, namely Siona, Captain of the Pileus, 
has the ability of whenever an aura you control becomes attached to a creature you control, create a 1-1 white human soldier token. If you pair that with shielded by faith, enchant creature, enchanted creature as indestructible, whenever a creature enters the battlefield, uh, you may attach shielded by faith to that creature, you make infinite 1-1s immediately. With Concordant Crossroads, you can swing out and end the game that turn. A lot of our creatures and our tapped things don't affect us, which is really good for keeping up that pace. Uh, but we're also running Heliod the Sun Crowned with both Spike Feeder and Walking Ballista, which is either a recipe for infinite life gain or infinite damage or both. Lots of good combo potential for green-white specifically. Huge shout out to EDH Rec and their new combo tab, where you can just go in there and look at combos that are in your color, pick things that work the best for you, and toss them in your deck. I wonder if that uses Commander Spellbook. Because I've, I've been surprised by Commander Spellbook as like another great home for, for tools, but I bet the two of them have a agreement. Either an agreement or a lot of shared resources in all likelihood. Yeah. I am definitely running more instants than other people, but I think that's just because CEDH is played on the stack a lot. So I get to run Manatithe, which is... I think Manatithe is something that everyone looks at and they're like, that's a bad spell. But it works surprisingly often. The number of times people go for something with exact mana... Or they're looking around the table and they're like, oh, only the Selesnya player is mana up. I don't need to prep for a counter spell. And then you just destroy them. You just <laughs> absolutely bend them over a barrel. Their turn is ruined. <laughs> so this is an expensive deck for sure. But that's a pretty good overview. What's what's the price tag looking at? Uh, price tag is, is actually pretty low for a CDH deck. It's hmm. 780 It's certainly not like... Ah, shit, I found 20 bucks in my pocket while doing the laundry. Let me go build a full EDH deck. But <laughs> if you're looking to go from, like, you have a collection, you've got some of these cards, it's not going to be the worst jumping off point to test yourself out, like, some fringe competitive. Or I think, honestly, this could hang in some competitive pods. I, I, I would put this around, like, an honest eight or nine. And uh, it's going to do some very cool stuff. You're going to run some combos that people have not seen and are not prepared for. It's going to be awesome. And Sithis is just going to be gassing you up with 27 enchantments in the deck. And average CMC of 2.2 without lands. Whew. One more combo that is not an actual like win the game combo, but is a fun thing, is Sithis Harvest Hand with another draw replacement effect of Abundance. Uh, if you would draw a card, you may instead choose land or non-land. Reveal cards from the top. Put the first revealed card of your chosen type into your hand. And all others on the bottom. It's just really refined draw control, and if you keep choosing non-land, you honestly have, like, I think a 33-35% chance of hitting an enchantment, which means you just immediately get to go again. Nice. Beautiful. Yeah, I'm, I actually really like the deck and would be excited to test it out. Honestly, same. I'm, I'm kind of feeling that with my deck, too. Not gonna lie. Maybe not against this. I would say, perhaps but... at different times, we'll test these decks. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. For sure. I think it's interesting because, like, I, I think this might be the first time we've had a group brew where each deck hits a very specific niche. It's more like, you know, we have we have a build available. If you've probably got a collection, you need to pick up, like, two or three cards. And that's that's Oakley's deck coming in at, like, 175-ish. Up front, we're dealing with auras. We're going to do some some busted things, but busted in a casual setting. You've got mine if you're you're really trying to get for that budget angle. Um, you're a college student and you're getting the free food and you, you want to put something cool together or you want to explore with some of these older cards that haven't seen play in a while. And then you have Eric's if you're trying to go for that, that higher level, like he said, that 8 or 9 CDH, have a bad time, or um, you just hate Islands. It's another deck to run for that. Choke is a great card. I thought about including Choke. 
Unfortunately, it was three dollars and sixty cents, which was out of my price. Very sad. But I did think about moving a lot of things (laughs) around to put it in. Move heaven and earth for choke. So I think those are those are the decks we have since we don't have a, a Julian. That's only that's only three builds, but we hope we made up for it by going more in depth into some of these cards. Is there any any last stuff we want to kind of bring up about Sithis or stuff that we kind of thought of going into this deck building process? I tried really hard not to play Opalescence <laughs> and Starfield of Nyx because I love those cards. Opalescence gets removed with all those auras you just don't have a master anymore. So they just go to the graveyard. <laughs> Did anyone look at including the, the, what is it, the nine mana mythic from Commander Legends? I thought about that. That's like return enchantments, artifacts, and planeswalkers to the back. I had that in my deck originally, and then I was like, what am I doing? This is a competitive deck. Get that garbage out of here. Yeah, I had that, but then I was just like, resurgent belief, though, for two. And it's basically the same thing in this deck, you know? I'm surprised I didn't see copies of uh, Crystal Chimes, though. Oh, that's true. Three mana artifact, three mana sack it, return all artifacts to the battlefield. Enchantments to your hand, hand, I think. Enchantments to hand. From the graveyard. So it's another one of those those quick effects. I was between picking that or Creeping Renaissance for my deck specifically, but I know that that was one that got printed in the 2015 enchantment deck, which was white-black with Daxos mm. uh, using the experience counters. So there's, there's a lot of good cards if you're starting to focus on enchantments as a type and i think something that that kind of influenced a lot of our builds is unlike i i think the best card that i'm going to keep comparing this to is um or ac yeah tat for the same same line of text just substitute the word land for enchantment but with sith is only costing two mana you're dropping it turn two and then you're making up for whatever deficiencies your hand has like as long as your starting hand has a cheap enchantment and a green and a white basically the world's your oyster and i think that's a super interesting way to build especially i have not played with a cheap commander besides Patra in quite some time so being able to kind of do stuff turn three and on is is a super cool experience to have yeah getting your game plan live that early is i, I think kind of a rare experience in edh where a lot of the times at even some of the higher play levels there's a little bit of dirtling at the start where people sort of get their lands, get their mana set up, and then they start to play towards their game plan. Whereas yeah. with Sithis, you should be gassing through your deck on like turn four. One thing I want to throw out there is that huge shout out to the old series that I used to write on uh, our website, the top shelf where I design a super high power build and then uh, a lower power build. Uh, and that is what we have done this <laughs> podcast is we have designed a build for the same commander at each power level and I think it really goes to show that there's a lot of commanders out there that where people say like, oh, that's not competitively viable or, oh, you know, this this was really only printed for the competitive people. Like, you can't play this at low power levels. You can do anything with any commander, pretty much. The, the world is your oyster in EDH. Awesome. So I think I think this has been a quick one. Hopefully it's uh, easy because we're still going to make Julian edit even though he's not here. Get played. If you like this kind of content, we've done a couple group brews in the past. Our podcast is basically wherever you're listening for podcasts. I mean, you're listening to this, so you've probably found it. So all of our all of our podcast episodes are there. We are the Hex Drinkers. If you want to look for us on Twitter or Instagram, it's at Hex Drinkers, uh, where you're going to see me post a bunch of images that he thinks is good for uh, social media, but isn't fully sure yet. Uh, what other services do we have? We have an email. It's hexdrinkers at gmail.com. I never listen to Julian when he does this bit, so we're a little slow off <laughs> yeah, the Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty tuned out um, as well. Oh, we, we do have Twitch and YouTube. It, uh, you can 
We do have Twitch Follow and YouTube. On- Are they both at Hex Drinkers? Uh, Twitch, I believe, is the Hex Drinkers because I made a mistake when creating the account, and I've never, I've never <laughs> told Julian. He he just always says it's Hex Drinkers at both, and I've just never mentioned it. Oh, that's why we have no viewers. No, that's <laughs> right. not it. <laughs> Any content that we make on Twitch will find its way over to YouTube if it is worthy of viewing. Uh, you can just. With flashier graphics and better yeah, edits. You can just come listen to me uh, talk smack about my opponent's decks and tell you about my weeks and the garbage TV I've been watching. You can also watch Julian on YouTube and any of the Twitch highlights there. If, uh, if you're looking for that premium Hextricker feel, which I'm thinking is where I'll drop the $50 dill competitive-ish Sithis build, we have a Patreon at Hextrinkers. If you want the episodes a week early, if you want them with all the the extra bonus content thrown in, along with our show notes and some of our behind-the-scenes stuff, that's where you'll find us. Special shout-out to all of our patrons, as always. And I think that about wraps it up. Uh, I do want to throw out there that you get to write flavor text for our website if you donate at a certain patron tier. And that's something, if you haven't visited hexdrinkers.com, you can find a lot of our written content there. I'm trying to do more with PDH, or Pauper Commander. And uh, a lot of Julian's Year of Brew builds where he's been doing a different commander deck for every month, every week. Uh, But the best part of the website is if you scroll down to the bottom, you'll see some flavor text for our site. It changes every time you refresh. We have a bunch of classy options. Add yours to the list. Become a patron. And for the Hex Drinkers, uh, I'm Chev, and we've got Eric and Oakley and Julian in spirit, and we're signing out. (laughs)